What's up, guys? It's me. Before we get into today's show, before we get it off the ground, let me send out this public service announcement to my Bay Area neighbors, Fremont, specifically, specifically, San Jose, Castro Valley, and everyone in between. San Leandro. What's up, mamas? San Lorenzo. As I finished recording this episode, probably like 10 days before you get it, my email from the past episodes is off the hook with shit about Lily May, Mayor Lily May, and affairs, and dick pics, and whatever, whatever, and blah, 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 blah. Listen, I ain't Breitbart. I'm not a tabloid. Don't bring that shit to me. And B, we just came off a president with zero political experience, and it fucking showed. Don't try to deny it. But he has three baby mamas, gumars, or hoes, porn stars on the side, and you're coming to me with Lily May's supposed personal shenanigans? Show your hand to the Mercury News or the East Bay Times. You ain't getting shit from me. But I get my gossip from the grocery store. Those magazines down there. Just like everybody else. Okay? I know it's not real. I know it's bullshit. So come at me with her record and her blatant lies that affect the people of Fremont. Her issue is that she's a liar and she's sneaky. Why'd you switch? You won't answer this question. Mayor May, why did you switch from Republican a few years ago to a Democratic mayor? Why'd you do it, Madam Mayor Lily May, why? Article is in the fucking show notes. Anyways, not only is that shit with Lily May still jumping off from like the last month, my phone is going off about Democratic Mayor London Breed out there in San Francisco with some fines that she had to pay like 23 grand for some ethics violations and gifts and shit she received as mayor. What the fuck is going on in the Bay Area with these Democratic politicians? Have I just not been paying close enough attention to local shit like Lily May or Ro Khanna, London Breed, whoever else I'm going to name off today? Who else, though? Who else is on the take or holding the bag with someone other, someone else's bullshit or drama? Who? This is bullshit politicians. Democratic leaders. And I'm ashamed of all of you guys, Bay Area Democratic leaders and leadership. Congresswoman Lee, where are you, ma'am? Who are you endorsing? I'm out here, you motherfuckers. I'm out here calling out Republican con men and women at the national level And the Democrats in my hometown of Fremont and the Bay Area are up to no fucking good. And let me tell you, crooked bastards, something else. Most of you newbies may not know. Before the Bay Area was known all over the world for the genius of the tech industry, because look at us, we're all taking advantage of the tech industry, we're listening to this 
I'm in 32 fucking countries. I don't even know if they know the political drama going on over here, but they're following me because I'm a fucking soap opera with these politicians. But before the tech industry got its name in the Bay Area, the Bay Area was known for its contribution to heavy metal rock and roll. Articles in the show notes. And like I said, I bet a large portion of the new residents and new families in the Bay Area have no idea who Metallica is or who Green Day is. Not even Slayer. Do you guys even know who Cliff Burton is? <sighs> that, that is the forgotten man in the Bay Area. And they are still alive. And they are millions strong. And they're nestled into the hills and the subdivisions of the East Bay. You know those million-dollar homes you see on 880 or 680 while you're in traffic for hours? Yeah, that's them. That's their houses. And the Glenmore Gardens, that area of Fremont and Niles, the track across from Chapel of the Roses and Chapel of the Chimes, all the way down to Hayward and San Leandro, San Lorenzo, Castro Valley into Oakland and San Francisco. What you have down there are rock and roll legends and their fans, millions, and their voters, their Republican voters in a highly, highly Democratic-led part of the country, so they mostly sit local elections out. But guess what? I can activate those voters into local elections in one second, and I'm going to. From 3,000 miles away. Thank you uh, for being here, Mr. Lady. It's always a pleasure and honor to have you listening. And as a guest, you know, whenever you can on the show, thank you for writing behind me on this, sir. Thank you. And let me tell you one last thing before we head in to the show. Mayor May, Rokana, and anybody else. My entire family tree from my great-grandparents who immigrated to Fremont from Portugal in the 1850s, okay? We're all immigrants from somewhere. This isn't personal, but we all came from somewhere. But my Volvo had a house down there in Niles. It's still standing. And I can remember being five and going down with my grandmother to visit her mother in that house down there in Niles. My father, who is 74 right now, can remember his father taking him to Joe's Corner as like a five-year-old. Again, he is 74 years strong. But from my great-grandmother to my beautiful mother and aunt and everyone in between who have come and gone from Fremont past within my lineage, they're all buried down there in Irvington Cemetery or the big cemetery down there in Hayward on Mission Boulevard. Do any of you guys even know where that's at? Aisha and Jaime know where that's at, where those cemeteries are. Ain't that right, Jaime? Aisha, I know what I'm talking about here, you guys. 
I'm old school Fremont, Newark, Union City, Hayward, Castro Valley. There are millions of sleeping giants, voters down there. They don't like to get involved in politics. Not too much. Not to talk about it too much. And that's because they can smell shit coming a mile away. But they are old Fremont. They are old Bay Area. They have memories of dairy farmers in Fremont that most call home now in a three- and four-story apartment. These guys ain't dead. They're kicking back in their houses going, what the fuck is going on here? Mr. Lady, the community needs you to get involved, to get everyone on deck and ready to vote in this local race. As we've talked about in the past, the Bay Area is the most heavily Democratic area in the country, or at least one of them. And as you'll hear today, sir, we've got shade in our party as well, in the Democratic Party as well. Mr. Lady is a Republican. I have no issue, sir, shining the light of corruption on the left or the right. I'm asking you, Mr. Lady, the historic Bay Area residents to follow these two candidates. I need you to get these guys on board to follow these two candidates on the left, Aisha Wahab or Jaime Zapata. And I need you to use your influence to get that old school community out to vote for one of them. I'm asking you to look into them, sir. I know that you don't vote for the locals because it's democratic, but hey, we all live in there together. We're all from there. We're all from there. It is what it is. It's a democratic area of the of the community of where we came from. That whole area where you're at, Castro Valley, it's going to be Democrat no matter what. Let's not get a crooked Democrat in there. And I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you, sir, Lily May is crooked. She cannot win another mayoral race, and she cannot win the Senate seat. It's got to be one of these two. They know what I'm talking about, and you know what I'm talking about, sir. These two, Jaime and Aisha, they're not crooked. They're not crooked Democrats. They're going to need a good team behind them, and I'm sure, I'm sure they're, they're great people. I've spoke to them, and great people have great people around them. So if in the Democratic side, it's going to be one of these two leading our area. It needs to be. And people like them that are going to be in the Democratic side, because again, we are in a Democratic-led area right there in the Bay Area. We need to have more people that are going to be honest like this and that are going to come from the community and help, you know, balance the two worlds of, of the tech industry, the tech bubble, and the old history that's still there. Thanks again for being here, Mr. Lady. Let's get into the show, guys. listening to the East West Crime Podcast, coming to you live and on location for the next 12 months in and from the East Coast. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. You heard that correctly, guys. The East West Grind is coming to you live from the East Coast of this beautiful United States of America that we all live in together. It's home to 340 million of us. 
It's just as much mine as it is yours and theirs. Hashtag equal opportunity. Didn't your parents teach you that you don't own the fucking world? You live in it with everyone else. And if you don't want to see certain people or colors or ethnicities, stay in your fucking house and complain to your bird. Caca! Andrew Cuomo, you need to resign, motherfucker. You've disgraced your mother, your father, Mario Cuomo, your brother Chris, and the Atayo Cuomo family. Get the fuck out, dude. Friends, I am here in Sumter, South Carolina for a few reasons. One of them is to relay back to my West Coast kale-eating, man-bun-wearing, bubble-wrapping our kids, Jetsons lifestyle living neighbors in the West Coast that I love so very much and I really miss you guys already. Shout out to the Fan 5, my family, Little B, my Mission Pizza and Pub family, and friends, the customers. Sorry guys, I won't be back in September, but I'll see you soon though. Trust me. All right, guys, but I am here deep in the South to put to rest to my West Coast neighbors that the South and the deep Trump country, that they're all not racist Walmart people that Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity would have their constituents or their conservative viewers, if you will, believe that the West Coast people think or are saying about the South and the conservatives. Do you follow me? They're saying we're saying shit and we ain't saying nothing. It's them. Hashtag putts. But guys, I watch these guys. I know what they are saying. And I shop at Walmart too. I just got a bell pepper from there the other day. People are pitting the East Coast and West Coast against each other to intentionally keep us divided. We ain't Tupac and Biggie, you guys. Uh-uh, we don't need to be killing each other. That's what our adversaries want. They want us fighting and killing each other. Don't fall for it. Accuse those of what you yourself are guilty of. And hold on, okay? Hold on. The flip side of all this is that I'm also here to put to rest to the South that not all West Coast people are in a pandemic relationship with their dog and shitting on the streets. That damn kid Ryan... In Colorado, he sent me an article about people shitting on the streets in Colorado. And in the body of that message, he wrote, Please tell people from California to stop moving to my beautiful state of Colorado. And I wrote back, Yeah, sure thing. Like people are really moving from California to Colorado just to shit in the streets. Come on, man. Hashtag don't be dumb. Mud on. Anyways, guys, we'll get into the details of the relocation on a future episode. Welcome to season two of the East West Grind podcast. Hang in there with me, y'all. But today, today's really special. We got interviews with Hayward City Council member Aisha Wahab and Jaime Zapata. These two are just getting their campaigns off the ground for District 10's state Senate run. I'll put their campaigns in the show notes below so you can check this out Bay Area Bay Area if you're listening and I know you are these two District 10 State Senate hopefuls encompass the past and present of Hayward 
San Jose, Newark, Fremont, Castro Valley. Side note, Rachel Maddow. Ma'am, this is a race that involves your hometown of Castro Valley, California. And so far, the three involved in this race that I know of, one of them, Lily Mae, Fremont Mayor, is the only one who has a record of campaign finance violations and fines. Not meeting her goal for low housing units in one of the most expensive places in the world to live. We need to get a spotlight and coverage down there, ma'am. Please, Rachel Maddow. Hashtag Rachel Maddow. Congressman Ro Khanna, you, sir, are a dick for getting behind someone like Lily Mae for State Senate, knowing she was a Republican a few short years ago and that she has paid fines for violating campaign money rules. What's that say about you, sir? Yeah, I'm going to make sure you get this too, Congressman Khanna. Bay Area, Governor Newsom, sidebar, he ain't getting recalled, I guarantee it. The MyPillow guy and Bannon, you guys wasted your money, fool. Caitlyn Jenner, look at her, she's a mess. Look at my hanger, Sean. She sounds like fucking Dr. Evil. She is higher than a kite, no way. And you are dumb if you think she has a chance. Respectfully, she ain't taking over a movie theater, let alone the fifth largest economy in the fucking world. No way, man. Shit. Jamie Harrison, I'm coming to you, sir, the head of the DNC. These are Democratic leaders in the Bay Area. Lily Mae, Rokana, Tony Atkins, Scott Haggerty, Betty Yee, and whoever else. Whoever else. I am sorry, whoever else. All these guys know that Lily Mae of Fremont has paid campaign violations, and they're endorsing her. Why? That's bullshit. I mean, I'm a Democrat, and I am fucking ashamed of the leadership in my hometown and the surrounding areas. Here's what needs to happen down there, you guys, Mr. Harrison. One of these two council member, uh, Aisha Wahab or Jaime Zapata, one of them needs to take on Rokana and get that motherfucker out too. The company you keep, Rokana. The company you keep, sir. Hashtag reflections. But Jamie Harrison, Stacey Abrams, I need you guys to listen, please. We need your help down here in California, down there. Whoever is in charge of the DNC in California is fucking it up royally. We've got a Republican in Democratic-led areas switching parties to rule from the other side. Let me repeat that. The Bay Area has Republicans flipping political parties to implement Republican policies from the Democratic side. Lily May, Joe Manchin. These are just two examples that the Republicans, their strategy is to change from inside the Democratic Party here in California. Pay attention. Proof is Lily May. Why did she switch parties from Republican to Democrat just a few short years ago? Two articles in the show notes. And don't try to tell me that the Mercury News is fake or the East Bay Citizens. Don't fucking do it, okay? Don't anybody try to take me for Rob Ford, okay? Don't try to pull a Rob Ford down here. Jamie Harrison, I am coming to you. 
from your neck of the woods, sir, in South Carolina. And I am telling you, we have a major, major issue in the East Bay of California. And whoever is in charge in California is missing the signs. Is it you, Madam Speaker? I don't know. I don't think so, but I don't know. Who runs the committees in California, the DNC? Hello, somebody's got to get down there. But listen, Mr. Harrison, all you guys, here's a plan. One of these two, Aisha or Jaime, needs to take on Ro Khanna and Miss Lily May because these two young, passionate community leaders represent real, forgotten America, the real, forgotten American. These guys are working one and two jobs. They work their way up, man, to feed and support their families, helping the communities. These two come from the neighborhoods and know what communities need to help their neighbors rise up too. They've struggled just like the rest of us. You follow me? The American way for the last 40 fucking years, hashtag Reagan, Aisha and Jaime, they don't come from silver spoons or gold-plated toilets. They are the working class. They are working class America. How do rich people know anything about a goddamn struggle except I'll pay you what I pay everyone else. Now get to work making me millions of dollars. Take these peanuts, which is your salary, and shut the fuck up. Okay, that's old corporate, you guys. That is not the tech leaders. No, it is not. And if you're in a trailer park listening to this with a meth pipe hanging out of your mouth and a Trump hat on, listening to Steve Bannon at 2 a.m. on some trip, hashtag January 6th, you guys ain't forgotten shit. Drug addicts can't lead the country, man. That's why they're all going to jail. All you guys that followed that lead, sorry, shaman, you got played, brother. Anyways, I'll attach Lily May's list of donors in the show notes. Some little birdie from Fremont said me her donor list today. I don't know if it's authentic. Jamie Harrison, you would know if that's true or not, sir. You know what they look like for your industry. But I guarantee you, you don't see Cloverleaf Bowling Alley on that list of donors. Oh, wait. Or Mike Hillman's name or Dogfather Tattoo on that list? Nope. Go look at the list or email me and I'll send it to you. Info at eastwestcrime.com. That's our email right there. But what the fuck is going on down there, you guys? Jamie Harrison, and if you all remember from some of the beginning episodes of the East West Crime Podcast, Jamie Harrison gave Lindsey Graham... And I'm just going to call him Lindsey Graham from now on because I'm, uh, you know, in that state and I ain't looking for trouble. I've received nothing but respect and authentic human kindness and connection from South Carolinians since I've been here. But, you know, we'll get into all that next week. But Jamie Harrison gave Lindsey Graham a run for his Senate seat. And because of that example in leadership, to come within an ass hair away of sending Lindsey Graham back to South Carolina for good, that was an excellent, excellent example of leadership. So he didn't win. South Carolina is a deep red state. And Jamie Harrison took it to an inch away from being blue. That's why Jamie Harrison is now running the Democratic National Committee. The money. We need you in District 10, California. 
Mr. Harrison, District 10, California. Hell is shade. We need you down there, please. All right, you guys, that was a rant. We've got these two. We've got these two great, great interviews on deck. Do not miss a minute. Bay Area. Bay Area, one of these two will be your next state senate leader for District 10 in the San Francisco motherfucking Bay Area. Hashtag Maya Angelou, hashtag I rise, hashtag Michelle Obama, hashtag rise up. And I, I sat down with both of these guys through Zoom and with your questions. Folks, my name is Christine Silva, and I am your trusted host here at the East West Grind Podcast. Welcome to beautiful Sumter, South Carolina. South Carolina! One year. Nobody's done this. Nobody is doing this. Let's bridge the gap. We're all just people. All right, you guys. Let's do this. All right, you guys, what's up? You know the drill. Before we get into things, let's give that sweet, sweet love to today's sponsor over at Body and Soul Botanica. Take it away, Ash. What's up, my friends? Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Body and Soul Botanica. Friends, I've been using this product for almost three months. As I told you, back in April, I broke my ankle hiking. And through my healing and rehabilitation, learning how to walk again, this is and has been the only product I've used on my ankle for pain, for swelling, for basic relief. Guys, I saw my orthopedic surgeon and physical therapist recently, and both of them said they'd never seen this type of rapid healing and clear, smooth scarring with this type of injury. I'm talking broken in three places, dislocated, major, major ORIF surgery. That's open reduction internal fixation. That means be broke, broke. And I'm walking again in like three months. The doctor was blown away. Friends, I'm a firm believer that Miracle Sports Cream from Body and Soul Botanica played a huge role in my healing process. There is no denying it. Friends, this will be the only topical cream I use for aches and pains moving forward and in my life. Guys, you should give this Miracle Sports Cream a shot. Everybody I know that uses it swears by it. And folks, if you know me or anyone that knows me, you know that I'd never steer you in the wrong direction. Get this product. Guys, Body and Soul features all natural plant-based products that are not only good for your body and soul. Give the bath products that they sell a try to. I'm most relaxed with the chamomile bath tea. Super, super recharging. But guys, not only are the products at Body and Soul good for your body and soul, they smell good. It's got a mentholated scent that innately makes you want to drag in that long, deep breath and extend those lungs. Imagine that first stretch in the morning, that, that, that is Miracle Sports Cream from Body and Soul Botanic, you guys. It is rejuvenating. 
Folks, this product is not greasy, nor does it leave you with that filmy coat over your skin like, you know, the store-bought creams. No, ma'am, this is not that product. If it were, it would not be the secret weapon to some NFL teams out there, man. Body and Soul Miracle Sports Cream is what NFL coaches use to get their players back from injury ASAP. I mean, the NFL is one of the most physical sports in the sporting world. The players take beatings and they use this product, you guys. Come on, you better get you some. Guys, Body and Soul Miracle Sports Cream is also the go-to product of retired professional athletes and Olympians, helping them get decades back on their legs so that they can stay active even with the wear and tear on their bodies. We all have got it. And folks, those that know me know that I do not put my name on or behind shitty products i don't do it so remember don't come knocking with your snake oil and gimmicks this is me being real with you my friends my listeners body and soul miracle sports cream has made a positive impact on my life and in my healing process it's facts of my experience using it nobody can take that away man and i'm sharing it with you guys because i want what's best for you too So if you're having aches and pains in your shoulders, your knees, your lower back, or if you're just coming out of the house to get active again in your community as COVID lightens up, whatever the case, I give you my word, friends, body and soul miracle sports cream and products can change your life. I know because like I said, I experienced it firsthand. Guys, Miracle Sports Cream is 100% plant-based. It's hemp-based, too. It has 11 herbal extracts that go beyond CBD to actually help your body heal itself from within, as Mother Nature intended. And guys, check this out. We have an exclusive deal for East West Grind listeners. Go to www.bodysoulbotanica.com. We'll have the link in the show notes and enter promo code EASTWESTGRIND at checkout to get 20% off your entire order. Take advantage of that 20%, you guys. Some of our listeners have taken advantage of that 20% and applied it to the eye products and the bath teas from Body and Soul, guys. All positive feedback. And remember, guys, this offer is exclusive to all my loyal listeners. Take advantage of it, friends. Don't let pain stop you from living your best life. Get the Miracle Sports Cream from Body and Soul Botanica. Your body will thank you. And it helps support this podcast so we can keep bringing you these episodes, guys. All right? Cool? All right, cool. Thanks, guys. Once again, use promo code EASTWESTGRIND at BodyAndSoulBotanica.com and get that 20% off your entire order. And remember, guys, I got your back. Okay, you guys, let's jump into that first interview. Ladies first. And again, you guys, Bay Area, these are your questions submitted by everyday moms and dads struggling or working two jobs to try and survive in the Bay Area, people with two jobs and still qualify for food stamps. Why is that? How did that happen? How did we go from, you know, having one job and being able to support a family to having to have two jobs and your spouse or your partner having to have a job too. And you still have to have a roommate. How did this happen in the Bay Area? How did, well, like, I think I know, but I'm, I'm putting the question out there to my neighbors. How did this happen? How is anybody okay with this? And Lily May is 2,600 affordable housing units short in Fremont and wants a promotion. 
Why don't you get the fuck out of here? Come on. Get the fuck out. Go. Come on, get the fuck out of here. Stop wasting my time. I'll get the fuck out of here. All right, you guys, pay close attention to her message and her authentic care and her grassroots homegrown concern, love, and respect for her community and the well-being of what most in politics would refer to as the disenfranchised or whatever term is being used for people struggling and living paycheck to paycheck and forced to live three and four generations in one household because the rent is out of fucking control marginalized or whatever. Paycheck, paycheck. That's what people understand. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the East West Grind podcast, Hayward Council member Aisha Wahab. Thank you. I I genuinely appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and, and all of your listeners. Thank you. It is a pleasure to have you here. Let's jump right into some questions. Uh, as I was talking to you earlier about, these are questions from people in the Bay Area. They are listening and, you know, everybody's concerned about what's going on and who's going to be sitting in that seat. So I'd like to be able to ask you some questions that I was able to get from those uh, constituents. Are you cool with that? Awesome. All right. So first, tell me, tell the Bay Area and everybody that's listening, because we have listeners all over the world here, but this is our hometown. You know, tell everybody in District 10 in the Bay Area, our hometown, what cities and towns does District 10 encompass? Awesome. So Senate District 10 actually covers North San Jose, the entire city of Santa Clara and Milpitas, Fremont, Union City, Newark, Castro Valley, Hayward, the unincorporated and a portion of San Leandro. That's a large, large area right there. Yeah, it's actually considered um, senatorial districts are actually bigger than congressional districts. It's roughly a little over half a million people. And obviously, geographically, it's pretty large. But I will tell you, I feel pretty comfortable in this area. This is my home base, if you will. I grew Mm -hmm. up in Fremont, live in Hayward, went to school at San Jose State, uh, Cal State East Bay as well. Um, So, you know, I feel very, very comfortable up and down this this district. Fantastic. I love to hear that. And I assume, you know, since you say you lived in in Fremont so that, you know, you've you've lived within these communities your whole life. Yeah, I was born in New York City, um, but I was actually, you know, my father was actually murdered and um, uh, my sister and I ended up in foster care. And we grew up with a lot of different communities, blacks, whites, Latinos, Asians, you name it. I literally grew up going to church and my foster care years were in the Bay area. So, um, you know, the family that adopted me, um, the family that I grew up with for the most part, um, uh, was based out in Fremont, my foster family, uh, that, that raised me for a number of years as well. Um, they were, you know, they moved in Hayward as well as Fremont. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I grew up going to church here in the Bay area as well. And, um, you know, for the most part, I, I consider myself since I'm going to say borderline infancy till till now um, in this district. Got it. Hey, I'm so sorry to hear about that with your father. I'm so sorry to hear about that. I um, well, what what drew you into politics or in public uh, to go into public office or service? What drew you there? You know, I, I, I think in my family, we've always been taught to support your community. Right. Mm-hmm. My sister and I both, just because of the way we were raised, we always had to rely on community, had to rely on the help of others, had to learn from others. 
you know, when, when we were finally adopted and we were very, very much fortunate to be adopted together, mm-hmm. as you know, that doesn't often happen. Right. Um, uh, so um, my sister ended up becoming a social worker. She works in emergency response, takes kids out of harm's way. Um, I always volunteered in my community, you know, from, from high school to as an adult right now, mm-hmm. um, always kind of just did volunteer service, served on a board, um, several different nonprofits through the area, uh, was the chair of the human relations commission for Alameda County, just wanted to help where I can. And the more I got involved on the policy work, on the volunteering, learning how nonprofits work, mm-hmm. um, and, and more and more city issues, uh, I learned that, you know, I probably understand some of the struggles better than most people that represent us. I genuinely felt that way. You know, I was priced out of, of Fremont. For the most part, I will say um, my family owned a small business. And, you know, when the Great Recession happened, retail is the first to tank. Then our family home was foreclosed. We were renting in Fremont um, for a short time. We were priced out, moved to Hayward, which was far more affordable at the time, uh, lived in Hayward for a number of years. And I, every time I would go to a city council meeting and, you know, when Trump got elected and so forth, you saw more and more people concerned. You know, the economy was going up. However, people were struggling. People were being displaced. People were moving out of the area. Mm-hmm. And this was still Hayward is one of the more affordable cities out of this, you know, East Bay and, and South Bay region. Right. Um, and housing was a huge issue. And I, I just didn't feel that, you know, council at the time was moving fast enough on housing or doing as much as I felt that they could. And so I ended up running for city council. I was like, if you don't see the woman, be the woman, right? Right, so, right. Um, I gave it a shot. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I I did not have any of the council members uh, endorse me. I ran as a challenger against two incumbents in a citywide election, didn't have fire, police, or the chamber. And we ended up being the top fundraising candidate, the top vote getter, and our number one issue uh, was housing at all income levels and mm-hmm. economic development. And I will say that I do believe we have delivered. Um, you know, a lot of the initiatives that I pushed are very much to protect safety net issues, mm-hmm. um, whether it's the minimum wage and accelerating that, as we know, so many people live below the poverty line, housing, expanding um, tenant protections, you know, a wide variety of different things. Um and uh, we did that in a very short time, very aggressively, and, and it was always passed unanimously. Okay. Uh, Let so, me ask you this. When you say safety nets, explain to the people, what do you mean by safety nets? You know, I, I will just say as a person who grew up in the foster care system, mm-hmm. there's a lot of issues that we we can definitely address through policy. So, for example, our lowest paid em- employees in California are paid via the minimum wage, right? And by ensuring that these safety nets are most vulnerable populations are protected with fair rights. Give me an example of a safety net, please. It could be minimum wage, right? That, that is our lowest paid employees. It is our affordable housing, senior housing. Great, great. Um, Yep. It is our social services, okay. right? Whether it's, you know, it's anything that our most vulnerable community members need. So if I'm a single mom and I'm having trouble with, you know, getting my kid to school or just anything, I'm struggling, I'm working two jobs. 
Are we talking about programs that help me with my kid get her in, in schooling or whatever it is? Or is that a safety net? Are you telling me that that is a safety net? Yes, because our most, vulnerable, yeah, our most vulnerable community members are the ones that need the most help. Policy ensures those protections are there for them. And once you have a strong foundation of safety nets, you can always build on the community, right? Okay. If you want to build that house on the hill with six bedrooms, go for it, right? Mm-hmm. But if our most vulnerable community member is protected, you will have a strong community foundation, period. Okay, so it's the struggling class. It's the working class. Right. Uh, yeah. Thank you so yeah. much. All right. Uh, tell the folks, Miss Aisha, tell the folks of District 10 how you are going to address the cost of living and the rapid gentrification of these communities, which we just talked about. Like I said, I'm not opposed to gentrification, but what I've seen, the communities that are getting gentrified, these kind of, they were like small towns once they've lost their charm to the rapid gentrification and Mayor May has been a huge contributor to that rapid gentrification in Fremont. What say you? And by that, I mean, I come from, you know, Fremont, my family came there in the 1800s. I've seen it go from small town to rapidly just look like the Jetsons, right? Some of the small town charm is gone. Like I say in my podcast, go run down Fremont Boulevard, look at the, the theaters down there, look at the little areas down there between uh, Central and Thornton, and it's a shit show. There's been nothing done either to help preserve that because it's all boarded up or get, get that part of the community moving again. What are you going to do to make sure that rapid gentrification does not attack these communities and that that's thus forcing the, you know, people out? What say you? Well, I'll, I'll give you some background on 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 things like that. So gentrification is, it, you know, it's it's something that tends to happen. Right. Yeah. You know, when you have more development, you have more people coming in, you have different types of jobs, you know, things change. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes cities look for properties and development of properties that will drive in a certain cost to the city. So for example, a certain affluence to the city. So rather than building below market rate housing, lower income housing, affordable housing, you name it, you know, people are looking for the property tax, which is based on the cost of the sale of the house. So you're going to get more property taxes from as a city um, if the house is worth a million dollars and more. And so that tends to be city focused, right? Whether it's a condo, townhome, whatever. And you've been seeing in Fremont and a lot of areas in the Bay Area, the home prices are hitting 1 million, 1.2 million, 1.3 million, 1.5 million, right? To your point, I grew up in Fremont. Mm-hmm. I was also priced out of Fremont, right? Yeah, me too. There's, there's literally no safety net for a Fremont resident, especially, I, I will say, even I meet more and more people in Hayward that. I grew up with in Fremont because a lot of my generation cannot afford to purchase a home. That's 1.2 million, especially as what, you know, they used to call the starter homes, right? There is no starter home. The city of Hayward has been doing a pretty good job. You know, we, for example, have a hundred acres from Caltrans that, you know, um, we are trying to develop. It's because it was a, a failed freeway that, you know, was voted on like 20, 30 years ago and Caltrans is trying to get rid of the land um, we're kind of slightly in a bind because it is on a hill and therefore, you know, development can't happen as, you know, high density or, you know, so forth. We're pretty much dedicating 25% of that hundred acres to affordable housing. 
student housing, different types of housing, things like that. So we're trying to hit our mark. And that is a big effort of mine personally. Um, housing's incredibly important. And I think that if you have a roof over your head, you know, you can focus on a lot of the other issues in your, in your personal life and so forth. We have the other issue of jobs and salaries. We know that salaries and just again, as I bring up the minimum wage has mm-hmm. not kept up with the rate of inflation or the cost of living. So in turn, the quality of life has diminished. You know, people are either deciding, should I continue to work? Because it's pretty much going to cost me the same if I have to hire a, a babysitter, mm-hmm. right? It's the same, you're getting the same amount of money, right? Um, and you're spending the same amount of money. So there's really no value add. People are making those decisions. People are making decisions whether I pay down my student loan, I start a family, or I put a down payment. They cannot literally choose all three. Um, the way, you know, my parents' generation could. They literally have to make a decision and a sacrifice, right? Um, And so for me, housing at all income levels is so vital as to being a core part of our policy. And I do think anti-displacement policies are needed, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The fact that we also, as much as we talk about the regional housing needs allocation, which every city um, gets these set of numbers that they're supposed to build this much, affordable housing, low income housing, moderate housing, or above market rate housing even to, to hit their, their arena goals. Um, but the reality is there's actually no carrot or stick. So you see certain cities year over year, not even developing affordable housing, Mm -hmm. low moderate income housing, you know, middle income housing, whatever, because there's no incentive for those cities. But as I explained to you, the property tax is an incentive for cities to build more luxury housing. Intergentrification, right? Yes. So would you agree that there is room for both? Because I, like I said, I think that gentrification is going to happen. Progress, like I said before, progress stops for no one. But what's happening is just like you said, they are we are gentrifying, bringing in those big money big corporate buildings or homes or whatever. And it's pushing out the charm of these cities. It's pushing out all the people like me and you who grew up in these small town communities. I understand we're in the hub of the Bay area, which is the tech industry. I get that. And to your point, it's not only gentrification, but it's segregation, right? So take a look in any city you go. When I grew up in Fremont, you know, you would have a neighbor that was a school teacher, a Mm -hmm. stay at home mom, a mechanic, and a doctor. Absolutely. Right. Now, you know, the doctors live up in the hills, Mm -hmm. right? The struggling folks live in the low income house or apartment complex or garage of somebody renting out their garage, right? Mm -hmm. Which I I have a lot of friends that are professors renting a garage, Mm -hmm. not even a full house, not an apartment, but literally a garage. Yeah. Or Um, three or four families, generations of families are living in the same house. Yeah. And it's no longer a choice. You know, um, I remember um, a long while ago, it was a a cultural decision or aspect where you have a multi-generational household in one home. Right. You know, grandparents, the family and, and, you know, the kids. Yeah. Um, Now you see that across the board. Right. Mm -hmm. People are are living with their parents, um, not out of choice, but out of need. Yeah. Right. And you have. Yeah. So, so, and to your point, again, you, to me, these are all policy decisions. Um, You can build housing that has the penthouses at top, you know, middle income in the middle and lower income housing at at the bottom, right? Mm -hmm. Smaller units, things like that. 
the design of these things, you know, need to be incentivized, right? Mm -hmm. Mixed income housing, not just mixed use housing or, you know, luxury homes here up in the hills and so forth. We really have to focus on those efforts. And And you have a plan to blend those? I have a plan even in Hayward where we're we're definitely trying to push that. And like I said, you know, the fact that we're building brand new homes, but making sure that 25% of of these new developments are going to be affordable housing. That's fantastic. Um, It's very hard to do. And I will tell you that, you know, you do get pushback because, you know, cities and city administrators are definitely pushing for the property taxes. Right. Right. Uh, which helps with, you know, maintaining roads and all the other things that we we have to maintain, city services. But I do think that it's also the state policy to push on those cities that have not developed at all. So I went to Pacifica for for with with some friends that that wanted me to introduce, you know, some things to them. Sure. Um and um, you know, they they told me that in Pacifica they have not had development in like fifty years. Mm-hmm. Right? That's old money up there in Pacifica. It, 100%. And so you hear that 50 years, you know, mm-hmm. an entire lifetime, there's zero development, right? Um, and in in some cities, they like to play this game where they're increasing the affordable housing percentage so high that they also are not able to get a developer to, to build it, mm-hmm. right? You know, they're playing games, right? right? To To kind of hide the fact that they're not trying to do what's right. Yeah. I'm so and, tired of these games too. And, and, and trust me, I see it. I call it out. Yeah. Um, and you have, again, teachers cannot even live in the cities that they are supposed to teach the students in. I'm telling you. Listen, let, let me roll that into the, this next question. Thank you for that answer, by the way. Uh, so hear me out on this. What are your plans for public schools in the district of district 10. And by that, I mean, what are your plans to get more funding to public schools in district 10? Because at the federal level and under president Trump, I'm sorry, former president Trump, he and Betsy DeVos were all about charter schools. We have less than 10,000 charter schools in the U S and over 50 million students. To me, that translates to inner city kids and working class kids getting the shaft. Teachers, like you just talked about, are having to shop or having to, you know, they can't even live in their own communities. They're having to shop for their own school supplies. Teachers are already, they don't get paid enough money as it is. They're getting off their shifts at the school and having to go shopping for the school. I know this for a fact because I know teachers. What are your plans for public schools and more funding directed towards public schools? Because I guarantee 95% of your constituents in District 10, their children don't go to charter schools. They're public school kids. What are your plans to get them more funding, ma'am? Well, I'm a public school kid myself, right? Um, My entire career has been in public schools um, from K through college, pretty much, right? I went to graduated Kennedy High School, went to, you know, San Jose State and Cal State East Bay. Those schools are solid schools. And I will tell you this. We in the state of California overall are placed 21st in the nation of per pupil spending. Okay. So we're in the middle of the pack. Okay. Yet we, as the state of California are the fifth largest economy in the world. Yes. Okay. So right there, that should say that there's a problem here. Yes. Education is investing in the next generation. And the fact that I know parents in Fremont, 
parents in San Jose, Milpitas, Hayward, care about their kids' future. And the best investment is in education. Let's be honest. Yes. Yeah. Me, it's an equalizer, right? And you have, you know, to your point, the the charter schools coming in, you have a lot of um, take away from schools, take away from teachers, take away here and there. Charter schools actually do not test statewide um, better than statewide public schools. Okay. They don't. Right. And not only that, charter schools also can pick and choose which students get admitted. So there mm-hmm. are some some questionable practices among some charter schools. Mm-hmm. We know that. I will say that I am endorsed by the California superintendent, Delane Easton, um, former superintendent of the state of California. And um, she stated that in her tenure as well um, in public office, it was the same thing. Right. That mm-hmm. um, the S- California schools were you know, per pupil spending was significantly low. And, you know, I'm working with her to develop a plan that actually brings that spending up into the top five. Okay. Which we can do. There is no reason why we can't, if we are one of the largest economies in the world, number one, Mm -hmm. number two is the fact that we actually need to understand 21st century education, right? Um, We do need to invest significantly in the types of training that kids are going to get, apprenticeships that, you know, kids, not all kids go to college, not all kids want to go to college, right? Yeah. Just expanding opportunities to enter that middle class professions, right? We have, I have a lot of friends that, you know, just became moms and um, they're going back to school because the, the job that they studied for, the degrees that they have, don't equate to a middle class living, right? Right. So what does that mean? Right. And, you know, yes, we are in the Silicon Valley. We are in a, you know, tech bubble, if you will. But a lot of jobs are changing. Right. Brick and mortar stores are, are closing out. Everything's yes. online, things like that. So we we have a huge concept of a 21st century economy. And that's really what I like to focus on. Right. Is how can we get people positioned in a way that they can work in a 21st century economy? That means a change in infrastructure. That means new jobs to support this infrastructure. That means new technologies are coming out. People need to be able to support these technologies, right? Mm-hmm. How do we transition people right now into this economy, right? And that's where we are struggling and we are not investing enough as a state. I will say the fact that the state roughly spends $8,000 per student per year and $81,000 per prisoner shows a very clear discrepancy in our values and where we need to be spending money. I agree. What are your plans to make sure that we do get more public school funding? Cause that was the initial, I want to know if one public school is the most important thing in terms of funding for the public school kids for you uh, versus the charter schools. And if, if you have a plan to get that into them, get those teachers help. Definitely. Um, you know, I, I personally think that one, our teachers do need to be paid more, right? Yes, I agree. Is if you have a teacher struggling to figure out, you know, where are they going to rent moving from home to home, they are not going to be completely focused on our students, number one. 100%. So supporting our, our students. The fact that they even purchase their own supplies is ridiculous. No other profession, this would fly, right? When did that, when did that change? Let me, let me go off topic real quick and ask you, what do you think, when did that change? Because when I was coming up, I went to Mission Valley, Hopkins and Mission. My mom didn't have to provide pencils or paper or, you know, things for the school. It was there as, the, as a public school. 
they were provided. We had to have our backpacks and, you know, cover our books with, you know, paper bags or whatever. But when did that change? When did we start taking money from public schools and forcing that on an already struggling, you know, uh, parents, uh, middle to lower class, uh, because you having to uh, buy those for your kids for the whole year and send them in. That didn't happen before. What happened? You know, I, I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure, to be honest with you, when that yeah. happened. I know it's been, you know, something that has been talked about for a number of years. Good, good. That COVID in itself has shed the light that it's even worse than we thought. Yes. It in itself. Um, the city of Hayward, for example, um, I, I, I personally went to ask, you know, AT&T for a grant. Um, they gave me $30,000 and they said, would you like it to be focused on small businesses or um, education? I said education because 30000 is a drop in a bucket for a business, let's be yes. honest, okay? uh, yeah. for a city of the size of Hayward. Um, yeah. And we partnered with our Hayward Library to purchase Chromebooks and um, Wi-Fi for students in need, right? Fantastic. Uh, and and we see that digital divide. And I'm going to say it's far more prevalent than we can imagine, right? Mm-hmm. So, and the cost is expensive, right? You know, cable right. internet costs money, right? Yeah, it does. But as, as far as like, you know, I think a lot of people focus on Prop 13 and there has been so many efforts to get, you know, funding, stable funding out of this, right? And I think that we actually have to be very proactive and see a new way of getting funding. And whether that is, you know, I'll be honest with you, if that is, you know, specific investments from corporations that mm-hmm. like to do business in, in, in California, um, and, you know, it's significantly smaller and does not, you know, affect homeowners and, you know, people who are very, you know, senior homeowners and so forth. And, you know, that effort has failed multiple times, right? That's the honest truth. You know, the Prop 13 is not, has not gone anywhere for us, right? All right. So we need to actually make the people that can pay, right, the wealthy 1% to pay their fair share. Corporations have to pay their fair share. Wealthy individuals have to pay their fair share because at the end of the day, we are one community. When you invest in a young person, a kid, a teacher, a whoever, you are improving your community. You are improving the rate of success for those individuals, which in turn, improves your community as that's, a whole. That's beautiful. Thank you for that answer. Let's go to the next question. Um, according, okay, let me get through this one. According to the to the East Bay Times, Mayor Lily May is shy some 2,800 affordable housing units in the city of Fremont, where you and I both are from. How do you plan to ensure that the mayors of the cities and towns that are in District 10 that you would oversee, what's your plan to ensure there is follow through in achieving the goals set for the affordable housing and any goals for that matter, especially set set goals to assist the working poor in housing, child care, schooling, whatever it is, programs that help kids reach the next level and provide them opportunity, which is what you just which is what you just talked about. What do you see as your role there and how are you going to make sure it happens, ma'am? You know, honestly, I believe in relationship building and understanding each city, right? Um, I, I definitely want to know what are the concerns, what what is happening, so forth. In regards to housing, you know, I sit on the Homeless and Housing Task Force in the city of Hayward. Housing Wonderful. has 
you know, my big issue. Right. And I will say that a lot of people did so oppose some of these safety nets, but at the same time, right now, all I hear is how strong our community is, right? How, how much better our community is for that. I think accountability measures for these cities need to be in place. We don't hold people accountable anymore. And that's oh. the honest truth, right? I, I, whether it's anti-displacement policies, whether we are trying to develop more housing, but at, at targeting certain rates, you know, the federal poverty level, it does not even equate or include housing cost. Okay. Mm. And in the unincorporated area in particular, for example, which is right north of Hayward, right? Um, you have roughly about 60 to 100,000 people, depending on, you know, how much you want to account for. In one unincorporated town in itself, 25% of that population is living below the poverty line. Gotcha. Okay. Right there, you have to think what is going on, right? Mm-hmm. Where are we going to pay attention to, right? Where can we say that we're going to need to focus? And at the end of the day, it becomes accountability of these elected officials and their policies. Sometimes cities want to be the exclusive city, want to be the, you know, high affluent city, right? Um, we also need to make sure that they are doing their part to make sure that their community looks like everybody in California, not just segregating it out um, to a certain, you know, income bracket. And Fremont has been been struggling with that significantly. Yes. Um, there's not, you know, when you take a look at low income housing, affordable housing, I will even say rent control, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is nothing in place there. Not a single thing is in place in several of these. And it's not just Fremont. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. multiple other cities, right? Yeah. And how how do you ensure that you're going to protect our most vulnerable population? And, and it's funny because I've actually heard some of the arguments around rent control. Mm-hmm. There's already enough state laws that prohibit rent control from expanding any further out based in, you know, if, if you don't have rent control in your city right now, if you were to implement it, it's only for pre-1995 developments, right? That is already 20 years ago, 25 almost, right? So right there, those buildings, and it's only for multifamily units, it excludes single family, it excludes duplexes, it excludes condos and townhomes. Who, who approved so, all this shit? I mean, how, how is this even happening? Uh, you know, it's before my time. I'm right, going to be right, right. You, right? Um, but I will tell you the mere fact that people make rent control such a polarizing topic. And the reality is it does not affect single family homeowners. It does not affect, you know, the condo owners and the townhome owners, right. just multifamily, which right there tells you it is literally lower income homes already. Right. Mm-hmm. And again, pre 1995. So the buildings are a little bit older. Yeah. You could still raise your rent. You could raise your rent 5%, however much year over year. It's just, you cannot raise it so significantly high. And let's be honest, people on social security don't get a 5% increase every year, right? Mm -hmm. People, union employees do not get a 5% increase. Our firefighters, our police, our, you name it, teachers get a two to 3% increase. Now they don't even get 5%. So our working class people with union jobs can't afford to live here. Correct. Half, half the firefighters in our district don't live in the Bay Area. Half our police officers don't live in the Bay Area, let alone our teachers, right? Mm-hmm. So enough's enough. At, enough at is enough. 
You know, my main goal and something that I've, I've very much focused on in Hayward is point blank balancing the scale of power, right? When you see that there is something that is inequitable, how can we make it work for everybody, right? And being fair. And like I said, even when we accelerated the minimum wage, it was $15 for big business, $14 for small businesses and nonprofits. Mm-hmm. You know, we pushed issues that that really are fair to people and fair to other people. You know, the business owners, you know, my parents were small business owners. Um, I completely understand how difficult it is to run a business. Um, so, but you also have to be very fair to the community. Agreed. And I think you just answered my next question, which was why you, why you, and I, and I think you just answered it, which was fantastic. Let me ask you this final question, uh, Councilwoman. What's your advice to the next generation of people coming up and interested in public service or even politics or whatever, what's your advice to them? Cause people are turning 18, 16, 17 all the time. What is your advice to them? Number one, I'm going to say volunteer as much as possible, get to know people, understand the issues, right? The more you are, you know, boots on the ground and understand, you know, um, ear to the ground and understand people's struggles, you can definitely advocate and, and help them right? Your voice does matter. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, oftentimes, you know, people, especially politicians love to say that, you know, you haven't paid your dues, or do you serve in elected office or whatever the case may be, or how long have you been there? Um, The reality is elected office in the United States is designed for anybody who feels a passion to solve a problem and the community's problem to be able to run, right? So if you care about your school's you can definitely run at, for the school board, right? Especially if you are a parent and you were experiencing, you know, concerns that, you know, you see people aren't attacking, right? And, and, and trying to tackle the problem. Um, I will say that many people will tell you, to your point of, you know, 16, 17 year olds, they'll say, you're too young, you know, what's your background? They'll always question you, especially women and women of color. I'm, I'm going to be honest. You know, I, I have friends who are assembly members that are in their forties and, and say that, you know, they're always questioned as to what is their background. Mm-hmm. Um, you will always be made to feel less than, but I will tell you that if you are advocating for the right issues, you know, your community really well, and you want to represent them to the fullest, you are exactly the person that should be running. Excellent. Thank you so, so much. Councilwoman. Aisha Wahab, thank you so much for coming on the show, for answering our questions. This is going to go out to our community. And I say our because, like I said, you and I come from the same place. I thank you so, so very much for coming on today's episode. And we'll get this out. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. I told you guys, this woman, councilwoman, Wahab, she can change the community if elected to District 10 and with the right team in place. It's all about the people you have around you. And I know good people around her, man. Remember, Trump had like 19 of his cabinet and closest associates arrested and indicted probably more. Trump Org is in the hot seat, the CEO, sorry, COO of the Trump Org. Ugh, they were just all in a bunch of shit, all white collar crimes. Like it gets them a pass because they're rich and it usually does. And all his supporters are like, well, it wasn't him. Bullshit. You are the company you keep. Tell me I'm wrong.
Exactly. All right, folks. We got Jaime Cepeda on deck to make his case for why he should be elected to District 10, that state Senate seat. I like his story, man. He came to this country seeking a better life and opportunity, and here he is running for a state Senate seat in the Bay Area. Congratulations, sir. You are what every immigrant dreams about when coming to America. Way to come up. Respect. Okay, so let's get into this, but first, let's give that love, 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 love to our sponsors over at Body and Soul Botanica. And side note on that, I've been putting in two hours a day, maybe more, with this portable sauna I bought. And, you know, I get all heated up, relax my bones and get that physical therapy on that ankle at least two days. I mean, two hours. It's hard work. And I use that Miracle Sports Cream every fucking day, man. And here I am walking. That's right. I'm walking without a cane or a scooter, without a boot, Inside the house for now, because it's, you know, I'm just getting used to it. It's like walking, you know, I got to relearn how to walk. But I am walking. And I got to give credit where credit is due, man, because that's how I roll. Ash, take us away with our friends over at Body and Soul Botanica. All right, guys, before we move into the next segment, love and respect to today's sponsors over at Body and Soul Botanica. That's www.bodysoulbotanica.com. Folks, this Miracle Sports Cream hasn't just helped in the healing process with my ankle. I use it on my shoulders and my knees, my lower back. It is amazing, and I feel rejuvenated every time I use it. So to all my working class listeners out there, the retail workers, the service industry workers, the mechanics, the utility workers, the hustlers out there running two jobs to make ends meet, Guys, I know the beatdown all those industries do to one's body, hustling through your day and over the years. Trust me, been there, done that. You guys need this product, okay? Folks, Miracle Sports Cream goes beyond CBD and features 11 herbs working together to stimulate your body's natural healing processes. No joke. And I'm excited to see how it helps me get back in shape when I can get back into the gym because as someone living with arthritis, it's an important part of my life to swim and to use the hot tub and sauna. I got to keep my bones lubed up and active and strong. Aquatic exercises are the bomb and they're fun. Who doesn't like to swim? You know what I mean? And part of my new routine when I get back into the gym Well, it's going to be to set myself up for success by incorporating body and soul miracle sports cream in my fitness and exercise day to day life. Because being active has to be a part of your lifestyle if you're going to keep on trucking, you guys. That's the truth. And like I was saying, guys, as you age, those aches and pains creep up seemingly overnight. But you don't have to sit in that pain or discomfort anymore. Give the Body and Soul Miracle Sports Cream a try, you guys. It is a mixture of 11 all-natural herbs, including CBD. CBD is the non-psychoactive ingredient derived from hemp or Delta 9 THC, followed by a heavy, heavy dash of straight-up love, man, from this company to help take whatever is ailing you away, you guys. Trust me. 
Don't forget to tell them Christine from the East West Grind sent you by entering promo code East West Grind for that 20% off. Again, that's www.bodysoulbotanica.com and promo code East West Grind. I'd never send you guys on a wild goose chase, okay? Give this Miracle Sports Cream a try and let me know how it works for you guys. Peace out. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome State Senate District 10 candidate. Welcome him to the East West Grind podcast. Hi, Mizapeta. <laughs> District 10 hopeful for State Senate seat. Jaime Zapata to the uh, to the show. Welcome to the show, Mr. Jaime. Thank you for having me, Christine. Thank you so very much. Listen, why don't you tell uh, the listeners out there in the Bay Area and all of our friends a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So my name is Jaime Raul Zapata. I am running for the state Senate seat, District 10, the open seat that's coming up in 2022. I am a working class Democrat. I've been in the Bay Area for nearly 20 years now. And all that time I've been spending just really focusing on helping out the community. I'm a small business executive. I'm a nonprofit advisor. I'm also a community organizer. I'm married to a beautiful, brilliant uh, educator. And I'm also the the father of a uh, rambunctious and curious five-year-old brown boy. Um, Five-year-old. That's awesome. Yeah. They're they're a lot of fun at that age. He keeps me on my toes. I don't need a gym membership anymore. That's for sure. (laughs) Awesome. So I got some questions for you today that were brought to me through the community down there in the Bay Area. And I'm I'm glad you're here to sit down and talk to us about it, to me, to, to our community. And um, so I'll just get into it. OK, let's go. All right. Uh, the first one is tell the Bay Area. And, you know, I'm just going to plug myself here. The thousands upon thousands of listeners that we have here at the East West Grind podcast. Tell us and our hometown of District 10. What cities and towns does District 10 encompass? Absolutely. It's as any district in California, it is a very big district. It encompasses a lot of different cities. And to me, it's it's home. It's a big, beautifully diverse district. You have cities like Fremont, Santa Clara, Union City, Hayward, Newark, Milpitas, and even parts of San Jose and San Leandro. And then you also have unincorporated areas like San Lorenzo, Ashland. Mm-hmm. And actually home to me, Castro Valley, which is where I am right now. And that covers nearly 1 million people. And I've, you know, I've been in this community for over five years. My wife has deep roots in it. She actually went to school in this area. And now she actually teaches uh, in, uh, in Hayward. So, yeah, we're very, we love our community. And, uh, you know, it's, it's big, beautiful, diverse. And uh, I hope to represent it. Wonderful. So that was my next question was, I assume that you live uh, within the, you know, the community of the district. So you're right there in Castro Valley. Right there in Castro Valley. Yeah. So we're uh, 65,000 people strong. Awesome. And, uh, and, and, you know, you have to be part of the part of the district in order to run for it. Yep. Oh, uh, that's beautiful. Because that was next. Is uh, is that the rule? You have to be part of the district. So you the do. answer is yes. Yeah, you have to be. You need to have at least one year of residence. Uh, that friends? At least district. one year. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. At, at least one year. Okay. Oh, let me ask you this, sir. What drew you into politics or public service? So it, it started with my family, to be honest. It started with my family, in particular, my mother. So my mother grew up in some of the poorest parts of Mexico. Mm-hmm. And 
when, you know, she had me with my dad, who is a small business owner, and uh, I love them both very much. Uh, she was a community organizer. She was a stay-at-home mom. You know, my dad was the one that was uh, the breadwinner. Mm. But she was organizing her community all the time. We had a working class family. We didn't have a lot. You know, we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of resources, but we had enough to get by. And she always taught us that there's always something that you can do to serve the community. And we did this by, you know, going to the streets, cutting the hair of people who are there on the streets for free. Mm. We were feeding people in jail because uh, in many parts of Mexico, if you go to jail, you're not going to get any sort of meal. So we were out there, you know, prepping burritos and soda and taking them to uh, prisoners there. We were also going to some of the, you know, poorest parts of the town that we were in to teach adults, you know, grown adults, people who had families, how to read and write because illiteracy is very big in Mexico. And so when I came to this country, I came here as a teenager alone uh-huh. and I was poor and I was in debt for years. I was working full time as a janitor. I was working full time as a line cook. It wasn't enough. I was just poor and I was just barely scraping by. And so the reason that I'm, I've been so involved in my community and now I'm running you know, to represent my community is this spirit of service in my story of struggle. You know, that's the reason that I'm doing it. It's the reason that I've fundraised, organized for different organizations that help people experiencing homelessness, survivors of domestic violence, students from low-income families, and undocumented immigrants. In my work with those organizations, which I've done for, you know, over a decade, I've seen how things are just getting so much worse because of the pandemic. So anybody who tells me or is talking about, you know, we just need to get back to normal. I think they have to they have to hear that normal 18 months ago, pre-pandemic, was really not good enough for a right. lot of people. One out of three families, one out of three families in California right now cannot afford their rent, uh, food, medicine. They're barely scraping by and they're one small financial hiccup away from total yes, calamity. Sir. Yep. You know, we have millions of people in California who still don't have health insurance. Yeah. We have the most billionaires in this state, as well as the most number of kids going to bed hungry every night. That's just, you know, it's ludicrous in in the United States for sure. But in California, the fifth largest economy in the world, it just can't happen. And so I saw this growing up in Mexico. I saw all of these things, but I never thought that I would see him here in California. And I, and I have, and so I want to do something about that. That is, wow, that is amazing. I don't even have anything to add to that. I'm just going to move on to the next question. Okay. That was, thank you. Thank you for, you know, serving. Thank you for helping communities. Thank you for what you're doing. Just, you know, that's amazing. So let's, uh, why don't we have you tell the folks of district 10, how you are going to address the cost of living and the rapid gentrification of these communities. And I'm not opposed to gentrification, but I'm, I've Mm -hmm. seen the community get so gentrified that these once small towns have lost their history and charm to rapid gentrification. Mayor Lily May in Fremont has been a huge contributor to the rapid gentrification. What say you on this subject? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we need all communities to be healthy, wealthy, and safe. And right now, we, we don't have that. People in my district, people in Ashland, for example, mm-hmm. have a very different experience than the wealthier parts of the district. So we need to address those needs. So all kinds of families 
can really be lifted. Right now, uh, you know, if you're wealthy, you're getting wealthier. Yeah. If you were doing great before the pandemic, the pandemic made it even better, mm-hmm. right? Unfortunately, the opposite is also true. And I've seen this in the in the work that I've done in helping working families, people who are in some of the most vulnerable industries, you know, retail, hospitality, they were not doing great before and now it's even worse because of job losses, income loss. You know, you have kids who are in uh, low income families. The learning loss for them is greater than than those of uh, more affluent families because they could not afford a private tutor. They could not afford to have someone come into their home and and keep them on task. Well, you know, wealthier families can. And okay, well, that's what they have. God bless America. But here, you know, for poor families, who's helping them out? Mm -hmm. Who's helping them? And these are things that are going to ripple for years, decades, especially kids right now and and sort of the, the work that that's going on there. You know, so I believe that it starts by creating paths to the middle class for all working families. Okay. And at the same time, we need to expand the middle class. How do we do that? We do that by focusing on building more affordable housing. We do that by creating a world-class education system. We do that by expanding workers' rights. We do that by revitalizing working class communities and businesses, mm-hmm. especially small businesses. Small business. I mean, my my dad is a small business owner. You know, he's he's 83. He's still hustling to this day. Right you, on. You know, That's he, great. You know, he's still hustling. And, and, you know, I saw the power that a small business had to not only lift up that family, my family, but to lift up the community. Because when you know that you have a small business from your community, from your people, from someone you know down the street. That lifts everybody else up in terms of pride, morale, and opportunity. So these are some of the things, you know, that I'm, I'm happy to, to jump into a little bit more, but it comes down to housing, path to financial uh, prosperity, education, and really paying attention to our, our, uh, all of our communities, especially working class communities and small businesses. I like what you just said there, pay attention to the communities, because uh, what you skipped over is gentrification. And and I, re- like I said, I realized gentrification has to happen. It's progression, you know, progression stops for nobody. Yeah. Um, but when, uh, you know, when we gentrify these cities and these towns and there's a certain part of the charm that, you know, there's people that have been in, for example, I'm going to use Fremont because that's where I'm from. There's people that have been there through generations and through generations and the historical parts of Fremont are not being preserved. You know, yep. they're just being gentrified uh, with, you know, three and four story apartments to congest the communities. So that's just something maybe I just leave in your lap because we're going to move on here. Oh, I was just going to say then just to be more, you're, you're right, more direct on gentrification. The reason that gentrification is happening, mm-hmm. it, you're right, in and of itself, it's not a bad thing. Yeah. However, it is a symptom of a larger issue. And that's that issue, that disease is the fact that cost of living yeah. in the Bay Area is growing three times faster than wage increases. Very good. And so that's all it is, right? So if you look at some of the some of the zip codes in the Bay Area where mm-hmm. the rent has gone up the most in the last 10 years, yeah. are also some of the poorest. Yeah. And if you don't have wage increases for people working in those areas, they just can't afford to stay. Yeah. And so what happens they they leave. And I think that's why it's important to focus on workers' rights. It's important it's important to focus on small businesses. And it's important in the long term to help people in vulnerable industries find ways of retooling their skill set and moving to an industry that there is some growth through job training centers, through education, through adult school, and through really opportunities to do that. 
Right now, that's not that's not happening. Agreed, hundred percent. All right, what are your plans, uh, Mr. Zapeta? What are your plans for the public schools in those in District Ten? And by that, I mean, what are your plans to get more funding to public schools in District Ten? Because at the federal level and under President Trump, he and Betsy DeVos were all about the charter schools. We have about 10,000 charter schools, if I'm not mistaken, in the U.S. and over 50 Mm -hmm. million students. To me, that Mm -hmm. translates to inner city kids and working class kids getting the shaft. If Mm -hmm. teachers, teachers are having to shop for their own classroom supplies, teachers already don't make enough money as it is. They're getting off their shifts at the school and having to go shopping for their schools. What are your plans for public schools and for more funding directed towards the public schools? Because like I said, I guarantee 95% of your constituents there in District 10, those kids don't go to charter schools. They go to public schools. What are your plans to get them more funding, sir? Yeah, that's a great question. So schools are underfunded and California is failing the next generation of leaders, you know, period. That's what's happening. I'm married to an educator, so I got to see firsthand how she, out of her own pocket, had to go buy school supplies. And, you know, again, in the fifth largest economy in the world, how is that happening? There's a bigger issue here going on. I also have worked, I'm on the nonprofit, uh, I'm sorry, I'm on the board of one of the nonprofits with the largest after-school programs in California that serves middle school kids in low-income neighborhoods. And so I've just seen kind of how they are, in many ways, being left behind. So here's what I believe. I believe educators are nation builders. And I believe that they must be rewarded and recognized as such. Right now, that's not happening. I can go on a 10-minute rant (laughs) about the many ways where the the public school uh, system is failing everybody. But, you know, to answer your question, there's ways where we can fund that right now that do not impact middle class or working class incomes. One example is uh, hedge funds. So hedge funds right now in California, places like BlackRock, they are swooping up a whole bunch of land and homes and turning them into forever rentals. Yeah. What, is that, what does that do? That creates a already, you know, already there, an even shorter supply of homes, which any basic economics you know, can tell you increases the price of everything around that. It makes a home much less likely to be afforded. So if we were to tax them fairly, for what they're doing, because they're being taxed at the exact same rate as a middle class family with a two bedroom home is. So they are doing that at the exact same rate. And if you know Prop 13, you know that that rate's pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. You know, so they are holding, you know, grabbing and, and holding lots of land and not paying any single cent above what you and I would pay if we had a home. That is billions of dollars that we could reap in very quickly, as well as helping allow for more homes to be out in the market, which of course creates more affordability for everybody. Mm -hmm. That's one way of doing that. And we need to approach these problems in a more creative way. Like we need to find ways where we can have the funding that we need so that every single kid from cradle to career has a 21st century education. And for me, that's free pre-K for all low-income working-class families, mm-hmm. as well as free public college. And here's the, one thing that I, that I throw out there is for any middle-class family that wants to send their kid to a you know, public college in California for free, 
There's a way that you can do that. But that person, that student has to put in at least one year of service. That's what I call like a like a service scholarship. They have to serve in public schools. Okay. They have to serve in government or in nonprofits. Are you talking about like assisting students? I I mean, when you say in the school system, tutoring, mentorship. Okay. I mean, we have we have a massive shortage uh, uh, of labor in education. Yeah. Government in numerous ways does not have enough people to do the work. That's the reason why. You know, the IRS at the federal level and here at the state level, um, they only target low income or middle income uh, uh, taxpayers for Mm -hmm. audits. You are three times more likely, right, to be uh, audited if you are poor uh, in the United States than if you're wealthy. There's no reason other than that because there's too few people working in the IRS. So it's a lot easier, unfortunately, to go towards someone that is poor and doesn't know tax laws very well, it is very difficult to unwind all of the loophole, you know, jumping through that wealthy yeah. people have done. So then they go that way. That's the reason, right? Where we're seeing some of these things. So we need to do uh, what's best for kids. And I believe, I actually do believe that charter schools do have a place in the okay. system. Yeah. However, they need to be well-regulated and well-run. There's mm-hmm. data out there that shows that, especially for black, brown, and low-income kids, charter schools can be a very good option. Mm-hmm. However, they need to be well-regulated and well-run. They can't just do whatever they want. And we also need to take into account that for more charter schools that we add to the system, we need to increase the funding for the other public schools. Otherwise, right. it does draw that away. I agree. And, you know, and I, I don't have a problem with charter schools, but there is mm-hmm. one charter school for X amount of people, of students, right? So you're right. There's not enough. I mean, if you can, yeah. in, you know use both of public and charter. We're going to have to work on building, just like you said, building more charter schools because the opportunity, the opportunity for someone to go into a charter school because they're so limited is slim to none for a lot of people. You know what I mean? So I like, uh, I like that you're talking about that. So thank you for that. All right, let's move on. According to the East Bay times and the East Bay times is reputable. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's been around since I was a kid, but Mayor Lily May is shy some 2,800 affordable housing units in the city of Fremont. How do you mm-hmm. plan to ensure that the mayors in the cities and towns that are in District 10 that you would oversee, what is your plan to ensure there is follow through in achieving the goals set for affordable housing and any other goals, especially the goals set to assist the working poor, the working class, which is what we've been talking about um, Child care, schooling, which is we've been talking about programs that help kids reach the next level and provide them opportunity. What do you see as your role there and how are you going to make it happen if you get elected? Yeah, well, we have the tools that we need. We just need to enforce them. Like there are already laws in place that says that any city that does not deliver on their RH, RHNA, which is essentially like the allocation, mm-hmm. how many how many affordable homes each city needs to build, right? Every city gets a quota. Any city that doesn't do that gets gets penalized. The laws are already there. They just don't get enforced, all right? So uh-huh. those things need to happen. Yeah, and I will work on making sure that they do by putting- Accountability. Exactly, it's accountability. It's, you know, there's laws, but are they being implemented? Now that's a different conversation. And I think sure. that then goes back to political courage, right? Are people in elected office gonna step up and say, we, you said you were going to do this. You're not doing it. That's not right. We need to kind of make that part of the conversation rather than just ignoring it because we have powerful interests or powerful mayors 
yeah. right? That that push back. So we need to we need to also promote housing density, and that's something that's gotten a lot of support in the district. Okay. Now, about about Mayor May, hmm. she's been wrong on the wrong side of things on many issues, as as you covered in your in your show. She's violated campaign finance laws. She's failed to report over $24,000 in donation. Where did that money come from? Nobody knows. She's taken really unfortunate stances on some very important LGBT issues many times, not just once, many times. And if you take a look at the people that she supported and are supporting her campaign, a lot of them are conservative leaders in the Bay Area, right? People that, for example, protested at raising the pride flag right during pride month yeah things like these I heard these things that. right yeah these things matter because yeah. you know what's the old saying like tell me who you hang with and uh, i'll tell you who you are that's exactly this right the same thing, right she just turned uh she just became a democrat two years ago okay so i encourage anybody who's taking uh, who's paying attention to this race to take a look at her record don't pay attention to what she says take a look at what she's done because she has a record yeah. And unfortunately, I think it's a record that a lot of people who think, you know, oh, it's a it's a typical Democrat record that I can totally vote on because she's calling herself a Democrat. You will be surprised that that's not the case. And she's not really standing for the things that she says she's standing for. Just yeah. Look at her record. The devil is in the details for sure. Yeah. Mr. Zapata, why should people believe that you, Jaime Zapata, are the solution to all these issues? Tell the Bay Area right now why you, sir. Yeah, well, you know, you don't have to believe what I say. You don't have to believe any of that. You just take a look at what I'm doing. I am the only candidate right now that has specific policies on all the issues that we've talked about on my website at this very moment. Remember, I am not someone who's who's been in elected office for any amount of time. So mm-hmm. the fact that my opponents don't have that is largely probably because they're trying to triangulate the best thing that they can say or fluffy vague proposals that don't have any meat. You go to my website, details on everything that I've said so far, and I'm happy to have a conversation about that. So that's one. Number two, I am the only candidate in this race, the only Democrat even in this race, who has pledged to not take a single cent of oil money or corporate PAC money from day one. I haven't and I won't. I do that because I want to be able to make decisions that put people and planet above big business profit. I cannot understand how any Democrat who says that they're putting public interest first is getting getting funded on the side by Chevron and Amazon and PG&E. Yeah. You know, uh, I've been in business. No business gives money away for free. Otherwise, it'd be a charity. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. they, they, they want something in return. So, you know, I'm the only one that's made that pledge. Thank you I've also that. dedicated. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I've dated my, dedicated my career at lifting others up and serving my community. And I haven't done that because I want to look good in front of the public eye or I want to get recognition. I do it. I've done it many times, actually, when nobody's looking, because that is who I am. I think too many elected officials nowadays are focused on the public part of public service. Right. Fair. And so, you know, we have to focus on the service. Remember, this is, you know, a long time ago when this first started, serving in office was a service to the community. It wasn't like an opportunity for you to kind of look good and create a career out of it. So, you know, to your, to your second question is I am definitely not the solution to these issues. I can't do everything on my own and I can't do everything overnight. I will, however, this is my promise. 
I will work tirelessly, tirelessly to listen to my community, to stay involved in the community, and to fight like hell for what we need. If you look at the Capitol right now, there's a lot of people there that don't have the lived, lived experiences that we have in our district. You don't see many people who struggled paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. You don't see a lot of people who had to work two shifts in a day. You don't see a lot of people who couldn't afford to go to the doctor. You don't see a lot of black or brown legislators either mm-hmm. or people with working class backgrounds. And so this is why I'm running. I'm running to bring my voice and the voice of people like me to the halls of power and in rooms where decisions get made. Thank you, sir. That's wonderful. Final, final question for you. Yeah. What's your advice to the next generation of people coming up and interested in public service or just, you know, politics? What is your advice to those young people coming up, sir? Well, I'll just say this about the young people right now. I am inspired by them every single day. Uh, you know, the yeah. younger, the the more. I know you have, you know, two two uh, kids, too. Yeah. I'm sure you see that. Uh they're uh, they're pretty badass. <laughs> so, you know, in many ways, they inspire me. So if anything, I don't have much advice because I think you're all doing what you need to be doing and, you know, move, move forward. But if you need a nudge, I say do it. Jump in. We need more courageous, kind, curious leaders to step up and represent their community. It is very hard. I know because I'm in it right now. Yeah. It's very hard to do that because the system does not like people from working class backgrounds or minority backgrounds to get elected. It, it, it makes it hard in numerous ways, but you know, it's worth it and you're doing the right thing. And also I'll just put it out there for anybody who's listening. Yes. I'm here to help in any way that I can. If you want to have a conversation, if you want to work together, whatever that is, I'm here. We can do it together. Thank you so very much. Jaime, thank you for sitting down with me today and for caring for our, our community because, you know, like I said, we're, we're from the same place. And um, uh, it's, it's, a, it, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. And um, I'm, I'm rooting for you, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for giving me the space to have this conversation. And thank you for, you know, speaking uh, truth to power always. I really yes, appreciate sir. that. Thank you so much. Excellent interview there, too, you guys. God, this is going to be rough. Whoo, holy shit. All right, you guys, before we have some closing commentary about these two candidates and the whole kitten caboodle, Ash, let's do our thing with our friends over at Body and Soul Botanica. Folks, your Miracle Sports Cream has contributed to me being weeks ahead of schedule in the healing process with my ankle. And I am genuinely so happy this product found me because seeing and feeling the progress in my ankle has really kept my mental state up. I mean, it's, it's been pretty traumatic to just boom, all of a sudden not be able to walk or cook. I'm a chef. Shower myself, you know what I mean? It's some days were hard and it's been really rough for the last 12, 14 months for most of the world. Adding a broken ankle to the mix was not a a piece of cake, trust me. But actually seeing the progress and feeling the pain become less and less through the use of Miracle Sports Cream from Body and Soul, it's made for super positive days like, you're going to make it, Chris. Hang in there. Calm down. I'm super grateful for it. And guys, don't forget when you get over to that um, website and you place your order, enter promo code EASTWESTGRIND for that 20% off. 
And with that 20% off, when you place your order, check out their eye cream and their bath products too. That's www.bodysoulbotanica.com. Go check that out, my friends. It's been really, really great. It's reasonably priced. And remember, I always say this, you get what you pay for applies to everything. One more thing, guys. Body and Soul Miracle Sports Cream has 11 all-natural herbs, including CBD. And all combined, this sports cream goes beyond the powers of just the CBD. Give it a shot, you guys. One more time, it's www.bodysoulbotanica.com. Promo code EASTWESTGRIND for that 20% off. Brah! That is our season two opener again from beautiful, beautiful Sumter, South Carolina. We'll get more into that next week, but I'd like to close today's show and speak directly to my community in the San Francisco Bay Area from Castro Valley, Rachel Maddow, all the way up to San Jose, District 10. One of these two candidates is going to win. They need to win. Aisha has been about the Bay Area struggles of the working class since she was a child. Hashtag rise up. Hashtag Kamala Harris. Hashtag vice president. Hashtag change. Aisha's seen the middle class of the Bay Area erode over the past decades, just like I have. And she's witnessed the public school systems work our teachers to the bones for shitty wages while the public school fundings have been reduced or squeezed. That is a PL that is a profit and loss statement. Who the fuck is in charge? But that has resulted in overworked and underpaid teachers. And how can these guys who are so tired and underpaid care for our kids and prepare them for the future? Why are we shorting the teachers and the public schools? The vast majority of the country attends or has gone through the public school system. Feed their minds. Public school kids are the majority. Why are we shooting ourselves in the foot? What do I mean? If we don't give our kids a quality education through quality educators, we are fucked. Look, half the country didn't see a known con man coming down the pike here. Put money into schools. Teach critical thinking skills. Care about our kids and their future. Don't fucking settle. And Jaime Zapata, this guy represents the American dream for all immigrants far and wide that come to the melting pot that we call America. Seeking that better life. He is the example, today's example, and he's from the tech industry, that new good corporate world in Silicon Valley where their culture is people first. He fits in there. Man, I wish both these candidates good luck, and I'd like to remind you guys, candidates, you're on the same team, and good leaders A good leader knows other good leaders and good leaders bring other good leaders aboard the train of change because it takes a village. It takes a village. Guys, Aisha Wahab and Jaime Zapata, keep your eyes on these two, you guys. 
and I'm not receiving, just for the record, I'm not receiving any money from either one of these candidates. I am speaking truth to my friends and neighbors. Candidates, I'm sure you're both aware of this. Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton fought a heavyweight match during the 2008 Democratic primaries. You guys are in that heat right now. When Barack Obama won the presidency in November of 08, he wouldn't let Hillary Clinton turn down the role of Secretary of State. See, quality matters. And as I always say, quality brings quantity. Guys, don't take it home with both of you on the ticket. Whichever one is trailing as it gets closer to the election, the other one drop out and take your supporters to the other candidate. Endorse the candidate ahead. Don't take votes from each other. Mayor May has deep pockets behind her and she's crooked as a $3 bill. Run your races, then team up with the other one that has a clear path to the District 10 seat. It's the only way to prevent a branch of the Republican Party from sitting there. It's the only way, guys. Good luck, you guys. I'm rooting for you both, man. All right. I'm out of here. I'll see you guys next week. Remember to like, share, subscribe, subscribe so you can get these auto downloads. Help us move this podcast around, y'all. Check out our website. I'm always looking for ways to improve. So if you notice some stank on the website, send us your email at info at eastwestgrind.com. Send us your questions and concerns and we will ask your questions on the show, you guys. We seek answers too, man. This is our community together. Share this podcast with those MAGA relatives that you love so very much, but you can't get a word in edgewise. Send them this podcast, guys, because they'll get it because I get them. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. It's going to be a fabulous show. We're going to share our travels across the country and our experiences along the way and in the South. You don't want to miss this, guys. See you then, guys. And as always, I got your back. Peace.